Put God first. Your presence in their lives gives them validation. Our children don't need us to be superheroes. If you do these things, the next generation and the generations that follow will live in a world far better than the one we have today. Men, stand up, be fathers. Welcome to the Inspired Legacy Podcast, Season 1, Episode 8. Hey everybody, thanks for joining me today. I'm Mark Henderson, your host and founder of the Inspired Legacy. As always, I'd like to remind you guys that this show exists for a single purpose, to equip dads just like you with spirit-led knowledge and wisdom in all aspects of life giving you guys the confidence you need to unleash that inner lion bottled up inside of you and discover your true purpose as spiritual leaders in your home. Well, today, guys, I have an incredibly important show. Today, we're talking about video games. And if you read the title of this before you downloaded the episode, I feel like I need to give a disclaimer right off the top. I am not opposed to video games. And my guest today, he's not opposed to video games either. But If you guys have kids, and I'm guessing you do if you're listening to this show, or maybe grandkids for that matter, chances are very good that they either have games at home or they are exposed to them if they go over to a friend's house. Video games are deeply ingrained in almost every kid's life these days. And if you don't believe me, just ask them what they talk about during their lunch hour at school. Video games are here to stay. And because of that, we have to, as parents, and again, maybe grandparents out there, We have to equip ourselves with more knowledge around this topic so that we can help our kids develop healthier relationships with with video games. Because again, they're just, they're everywhere and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. But with all of that in mind, we have to at the same time know that there's a dark side to video games and online gaming. And that's what we're going to dive into today. My guest today is Cam Adair. He is an international speaker and leading expert on video game addiction. Cam is the founder of Game Quitters, the world's largest support community for video game addiction. His work has been published in Psychiatry Research. That's a peer-reviewed medical journal on psychiatry. He has been featured in two TEDx Talks as well as NPR, BBC, Forbes, ABC's 2020, CNN, Vice, Bloomberg, and the list goes on. This guy is one of the leaders in this area. And during our conversation, Cam openly shared about his own struggles with gaming and uh, his struggle with gaming addiction. But he also outlined several warning signs that we as parents need to be aware of that might indicate if our child is too attached to their game. And and that's just the tip of the iceberg of the things that we talked about. I would encourage you that if you have children or grandchildren with video games or who may be exposed to games at friends' houses, grab a notepad and take some notes because we go over a lot of really practical takeaways here that you're going to want to remember and implement in your home. And think about this. Satan always looks for opportunities to drive a wedge in our relationships, right? And in order for us to have, I should say, in order for our kids to have good relationships with us and their other friends, their peers, that takes uh, time, right, and, and their attention. And Satan's going to do everything he can to disrupt that. 
And he uses video games as an opportunity to get in their heads and uh, poison their minds with uh, content that is either inappropriate or maybe too extreme for their developing brains. And I really think that, again, I'm not opposed to games. And in fact, gaming in moderation, just like anything in life, there are some tangible good benefits that come with gaming. But if we don't have the skills, and if our kids don't have the skills to turn the game off and walk away, then obviously uh, there's a problem there, right? And again, Satan is going to use this tool to damage relationships, damage families, and keep kids and teenagers from experiencing a fuller life, a life that God intended for them, but they may not be uh, exposed to because they're spending all of their time and attention focused on a video game. Again, we dive into some amazing stats in this show. One of them is the fact that there are more than 2 billion gamers in the world right now, and there are about 150 million of those gamers live in the United States. Studies indicate that about 3 to 4% of these gamers struggle with addiction. That is a huge number. And it's gotten to the point where the World Health Organization recently declared video game addiction as an actual mental health disorder. And so again, this topic is extremely important. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. So again, we have to, as parents, we have to arm ourselves with this knowledge. We have to equip ourselves to better lead our our kids in this area so that, again, they can develop a healthier relationship with not just video games, but a tablet, any kind of a technology device that we may use as, and, you know, I'll raise my hand. I'm, I've been guilty of it too, a time or two, letting these devices serve as almost a babysitter for us, right? It could be because it's easy and it's convenient, but we talk about the effects of that with Cam And in large part, we don't know, scientists don't know the long-term impact of what these devices are having on very small children, like ages one to five. We just haven't run the simulation long enough to know what the outcome of this will be. We do know the impact that it has had on teenagers. And guys, it's not good. So if the outcome for teenagers hasn't been good, think of the outcome uh, that's in store for these younger kids. So again, I've rambled enough. You guys grab your notepads, grab your pencils, get ready to take some notes. And if you get any value out of this show, please help us spread the word about not just this show, but this episode in particular, because again, this is a very important topic. I believe that it's an epidemic. Again, gaming is fun, but when it disrupts lives and destroys relationships, literally impacts the physical development of young person's brain, that's dangerous stuff. So again, I, I think it's an epidemic. I think the numbers support that. And the more that we can do to get this information in the hands of more parents, the better. So please email this episode to friends that you think might benefit from it. Share the episode online. Take a screen capture of it on your phone. Post it to Instagram. Tag me. Tag my guest. And that will help get the game. The uh, the game. That will help get this episode out in the, into the public uh, across the social web and... Um, We'll get this uh, We'll get this info in the hands of people who need it. Okay, that is enough for me. Guys, get ready for my conversation with Cam Adair. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Very good. Uh, right off the bat, I got to tell you, I've been looking forward to this call for a while. Um, we're going to get into your story here, but you know when i when I stumbled across your name and I heard your story, 
I knew, like I said, that it was, you were somebody that I needed to have on the show, but I'll be honest with you that I've got a, I've got three kids. I've got two older girls who are not into gaming at all, but I've got a younger son who's just turned 10. And when I think about the dangers of video games and just screen time in general and how easy it is for, you know, just not just an adult to get sucked into it, but a, a young impressionable mind like my 10 year old boy and others like him, it's just, and how easy that is for them to do. And the, and the amount of pressure that they have outside of the home to, you know, really spend all their time online and, and within games or just on screens in general, it's just, sometimes I feel like it's out of my control. And so again, I'm really excited to dive into what you have to share with us today. Um, but I want to turn the microphone over to you. I want you to share your story with the, with the listeners, because I think that you bring a lot of, I'll call it street cred <laughs> to this conversation. So why don't you give us your background in all of this? What's your story and what's your experience with gaming? Well, my experience with gaming is that I was a gamer and I started gaming when I was about 11 years old. You know, initially it was just a fun way to kind of connect with my cousin and, you know, relax after going to school and playing hockey. I was a high level hockey player in Canada. And when I was 13 years old, that changed when I began to experience a lot of bullying. And that bullying for me was pretty intense. It was things like kids trying to put me in garbage cans at lunch hour and, you know, on my hockey team after one of our games for over an hour on our team bus, I was spit on. And naturally those experiences would lead me to you know, want to escape. So I escaped in the gaming. It was very effective for me to be able to kind of get away from everything and not really have to think about anything else. Uh, and I actually ended up dropping out of high school, never graduated. While all my friends were off to college, I was gaming up to 16 hours a day. I was very depressed. I was very anxious. And I even got to a point where I started to pretend to have jobs to deceive my family. Eventually, I wrote a suicide note, and it was that night when I realized I needed to make a change. And that change for me began by quitting gaming because I knew if I never did anything else or if I never quit gaming, I would never do anything else. And so quitting gaming was kind of the step one for me to begin to turn my life around. It's important for me to state, I guess, that I'm not against gaming in any way or, or screen time or social media. You know, it's just about understanding, you know, how to have a healthy balance and how have a healthy relationship with these technologies. You know, they're here to stay. They're not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. And we need to learn how to use them, uh, but in a positive way instead of having them take over our lives. And they're certainly designed in a way that that can happen for some people. Long story short, when I quit gaming, I shared my story online and I just heard from tens of thousands of people all over the world. This was back in 2011. And over the course of time, it took about four years. But eventually, I decided to launch a, a website for it called GameQuitters.com. Now it's the largest support community for people with a video game addiction. It helps about 75,000 people a month in 95 countries around the world. You know, YouTube videos, forum for people to interact, you know, guides for gamers and parents. And we publish research as well. You know, it's just kind of propelled me into this situation of now traveling all over the world, speaking about the subject and advocating for people who need help to be able to get it. And it's a really, honestly, surreal experience overall. Uh, but, you know, it's just, I guess, what I'm meant to do. Yeah, that's got to be, got to have a, a real sense of purpose, knowing that you are, your personal pain has really kind of uh, led you down this path of helping other people. That's outstanding. Well, and for me, it's, um, 
you know, as much as my story will be front and center a lot, it's just a representation of the millions of other people out there who are struggling, whether it's a gamer themselves who sees my story and sees, you know, themselves, or if it's a family who sees me as just an example of, of what they're going through with their son or daughter. And it can be awkward sometimes to have so much of the focus be on me. You know, when I do a media piece, it's like, what's your story? Tell us your story. And really, you know, such a big part of that story is, is not just that I you know, went through an experience, but when I shared my story, I heard from tens of thousands of people all over the world coming forward, asking for help. And that's one of the kind of key features for me is that these were people asking for help, not necessarily saying, you know, a parent saying you need to stop gaming, but someone actually coming forward saying, I can't stop. I need help. And I think we should help them. Man, I have so many questions. I don't even know where to start. Do you feel it's the only way to, when you get to that level where you're gaming 16 hours a day, and I got to imagine that when you were at that point, you knew in the back of your mind, like, I've got a real problem, but you just couldn't do anything about it. But do you think that when you get to that point, is the only way out when you personally want to take action or is having a quote unquote intervention a good route to go if, you, if you're a parent? So there's a couple of different questions there. So, you know, the first is if you are going to turn it around, you know, what do you do? And so this depends a little bit on, on the situation, but generally if a gamer is coming forward saying, look, I want some help. I want to turn my life around. I recommend for them to take 90 days off cold Turkey and use that as an experiment to learn more about what their relationship is like to gaming. Now, during that time, they're going to have to do things like find new replacement activities, schedule their time better, deal with cravings or urges to play or any emotions that are coming up. You know, usually they're going to have to make some new friends, and these sorts of things. But 90 days gives them, you know, an opportunity to create a contrast in their life because so many gamers have been gaming their entire life. They don't even know what life is like without gaming. Mm -hmm. And from a, research study that we did, we found people saw a 2x improvement to their overall well-being from taking 90 days off gaming, and that's evaluated across 12 measures of emotional health, physical health, time management, focus, relationships, even their appearance. I can tell a gamer, if you take 90 days off gaming, you will literally be better looking. And that makes sense. If you quit gaming, you're probably moving around more, you're outside more in natural sunlight, you know, you're just having more social interactions in person. And that will just make you be healthier. Uh, now, if someone doesn't want help, or maybe it's a family member who you know wants to understand how you can kind of move this forward, for them, I recommend more you know reducing gaming to ideally, if they're over 12 years old, something more like two hours or less a day. Ideally, not every day. Sometimes you can use kind of game-free days as a way to earn game days. That way, you know, half the week they're not gaming, half the week they are. Uh, and more than just focusing on time limits, you want to focus on more protective factors. So things like if they're exercising and spending some time outside in nature and spending time in face-to-face -face interactions and going to school or working a part-time job, these sorts of things will just automatically negate the amount of time that they have to game. And so then they're just not around home gaming so much mm -hmm. so focusing sometimes on more of those protective factors is a big part of it uh, and then 
you know, I guess the last question that you kind of asked was, you know, if someone doesn't want to quit, what do you do? And for me, you know, when I was gaming, I was so checked out that I wasn't really thinking that gaming was really causing a negative impact in my life. It was more probably people around me who I felt like they were causing a negative impact <laughs> on my life. Uh, but from the paper we did, the research paper, we found that 84% of people in our community who met criteria for gaming addiction knew they had a problem over 12 months ago. So it's usually not really like a big shock to people that they're struggling, but they might not know how to ask for help. They might not feel comfortable. They might not really feel like they're being heard. And so just for you know parents or loved ones out there, it's really important that you don't tell people they're addicted to gaming or say, you know, why don't you stop playing these video games? And instead, try to have more discussions about, you know, what's really going on. You know, are they, why do they like to play games? Is it for competition? Is it as a way to deal with stress? Is it a social outlet? And by understanding more of their primary motivations, you'll be able to try to find some other outlets for them, like learning new coping strategies for stress that should hopefully be able to start to reduce their need to gain. Yeah, I think that's an important point that kind of speaks to just parenting tactics in general. You're always more effective when you talk with your child rather than talking at them. Mm -hmm. And I have to constantly remind myself of that too. <laughs> when I just bark orders or, you know, make my opinions known, um, it's usually not received very well. But when you can, like you said, engage them in a dialogue and really get to the heart of the matter through that dialogue, I think you're going to have a lot more, um, a lot better results. And I think that's what you're saying there. And including them in, in that conversation, I earlier today I interviewed Jordan Shapiro, who wrote the book The New Childhood, which is kind of a, a guide of some degree to you know parents and understanding the digital world and how to parent in the digital world. And he shared this story of how I believe um, I believe he is a ten year old, and or I might be thinking that, that you have a ten year old, but he has a son. We'll say that and. His son, uh, he caught him one night staying up really late watching people play on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And so the next day on the way to school, Jordan said, hey, you know, I noticed you were up really late last night watching people play games or whatever. And his son was kind of like had the guilty face uh, or the gu guilty look on his face. And he said, yeah, I was. And so Jordan said, you know, what time do you think it's appropriate for you to be watching other people play for, or, or what time do you think it's appropriate for you to be on technology before you go to bed? And his son said, 10 p.m. And so Jordan said, okay, great. The Wi-Fi will now be shut off at 10 p.m. every night. Oh, and that's good. It was kind of like this situation where he gave his son an opportunity to kind of share, you know, what does he think is fair? What does he think is appropriate? And then Jordan put the boundary down. Okay, Wi-Fi is off at 10 p.m. And at that point, it's pretty hard for his son to kind of argue about 10 p.m. because his son was the one who chose it. Yeah, exactly. Now, if his son said all night, it's a different conversation. And that's where you're then going to have to decide, like, how do you start to navigate, like, what is reasonable and what's fair and going down that path. And ultimately, you have to be the parent. But really including them in what do they find is fair? What do they find is reasonable? And having them actually have to share, you know, what is healthy can be one way to be able to move that forward. And then you're able to set those boundaries. 
Yeah. And what I really like about that approach is, again, it goes back to good parenting tactics. By shutting off the Wi-Fi, you're really forcing yourself as the parent to walk the walk, right? If the Wi-Fi is <laughs> shut off, you know, you're not going to be online doing any of your own stuff. So yeah, that's a bold step, but I think it's got to be pretty effective. And parents have to address their own technology use as well, because often we focus so much on the gamer or the child and not on the example that we're setting or not setting. And for instance, there's research that shows that kids have behavioral problems when their parents are addicted to technology. Now, for parents, we just justify it differently. We say, well, arguing on Twitter is how we de-stress after work or we you know, worked all day and we just want to be on our phones or we need to answer that email or that text message. And we just justify it differently. But our kids are viewing our relationship to technology. And as an example for them, you know, I remember I had a 12 year old named Caitlin who commented on my TEDx talk and she said, Cam, I really need to quit gaming. It's not really a good thing for me in my life. My mom is always telling me to stop, but she watches TV for eight hours a night. Mm. And what's the difference? Now, for me personally, I actually do believe there's a, a difference between TV and smartphones or TV and gaming. But the overall message for her is the same, which is her mom is watching TV for eight hours a night and yet telling her daughter not to be gaming for eight hours a day. And I think that, you know, ultimately there there is a double standard there. Yep. It's, it's uh, it, it's not kind of like following through on the standards you're setting in your home and your children see that and then model that or, or see it as hypocritical. So just being really mindful of your own technology use at home, no tech at the dinner table, have these conversations, you know, kind of be, be mindful that any of these standards you're setting for your children, you need to be living yourself. Yeah, man, that last point kind of stung a little bit because I know that I'm it's guilty. Hard. Yeah, it is hard. We've had a long-standing rule of no devices at the table, but I know that away from the table, uh, I, I'm guilty of it. And so, what you're saying is, you know, let's put TV aside because I agree with you. It's maybe a, a little bit different, but our phones and our tablets—they all fall into the same conversation. For sure, absolutely. And I think tr- nowadays parents are viewing watching YouTube on a smartphone or an iPad as TV. And I don't see that as TV at all. The difference, like watching TV on a traditional television compared to watching YouTube on a smartphone, those are very distinctly different mediums. On YouTube, first of all, you have autoplay. So as soon as one video ends, you have the next video coming. And usually that next video is the absolute best video that the algorithm using AI technology has found to keep you wanting to watch it. Yep. And there's personal recommendations based on all the videos you've watched and all your interests and all your history of data. Like that's a very different level of interaction with the technology and the medium than what you get on a traditional TV, which is this show is on now and there's a completely different show on the next half an hour or hour that you might not be interested at all. There's commercials like it's a very different medium compared to YouTube, uh, but it's easy to justify YouTube as just TV because it's the same kind of intention of just entertainment. Uh, but it's a very different way that it actually operates. You're right. Even the ads on YouTube are targeted to us. And so if we get pulled into an ad, and I know that's happened to me a time or two, 
that you know connects the dots but from one youtube show to the next one to where it's almost one continuous viewing experience like you um which is different than tv like you said you've got those breaks oh this is hard to hear man <laughs> you know i think for parents like i have a lot of compassion for parents it's challenging you're tired you're you have to work really hard then you have to entertain your kids you know all night uh, it's not easy it's not an easy job and I think it's important to take it seriously. And I also think that, you know, you need to put your own self-care as a priority. And sometimes that might mean communicating with your partner when you come home for you to get five minutes quickly to just go in the closet and meditate, have a quick shower so that you can get regrounded to be able to be there for your family, you know, just working together to try to find some ways for you to get an ounce of self-care is really important. And just knowing that, you know, some days are going to be easier than others, but parents in previous generations had the same challenges. The difference was when they were going out for dinner with the family, they brought a book or a toy to keep kids entertained while they tried to have a conversation with whoever they were out for dinner with. Nowadays, we we have that exact same situation. The only difference is we have the great sedative in our pocket called the iPhone that we can give our kids it works perfectly every single time we need it for as long as we need it to. And the kids are super engaged, fully immersed in the technology. And it can feel really good because it works really well in the moment. Mm-hmm. But then when you go to remove it, you're, you're, you've only prolonged the experience. You've only delayed it. You, you're still going to deal with the kind of tantrum or, or the unhappiness of the kid when you remove their access to that at dinner or wherever it is. And so you haven't necessarily solved it. You've just kind of pushed it away. Yeah. And I know that when you take that approach over time, you can essentially rewire your kid's brain to just having needing to be entertained all the time and not being able to entertain themselves through, you know, creative means. Exactly. And I think that's what we're robbing our kids of actually is, is that, you know, they're not going outside to play and in doing so they're, you know, learning to be creative and resourceful and social. Hey, neighborhood kids, come and join me. Let's play a game. Or to be independent, you know, they can entertain themselves. And instead, they're just so used to just constant passive entertainment in their face all the time. And it's very stimulating. It's it's very immersive and engaging, but it's all instant gratification. And they're not actually learning just how to be with themselves or how to be independent or entertain themselves instead of constantly needing to be entertained by something else. And I think that we'd do a lot better if we just allowed our kids to play like normal kids. And a good example for me is one of my best friends, his name is Otis. He's four. And when I was hanging out with Otis recently, you know, I was playing around with giving him technology. So I'd let him watch YouTube or we do, you know, Instagram filters, what he calls face filters. But I noticed that Every time I gave him these filters, every time I'd go to hang out with him, he'd just ask me to do it. So he'd say, hey, let's do face filters. Let's do face filters. And I stopped giving it to him. And then after a couple of days, I'm working on my laptop and Otis comes into the room. He had found a um, an old toilet paper roll that was empty and, and some Q-tips. And he put them together and he was like, hey, Cam, look at my robot. And <laughs> yeah. Like it's it's obviously not a robot, but 
to him, it was like a fun thing he did yeah. before he's literally entertained by anything. But if I gave him YouTube, it's like he goes deaf. Yep. He can't even hear me anymore. He can't even interact with me anymore. And it's really tragic because, you know, he'd be getting so much out of life by just actually engaging in anything else. So there's obviously something going on in our brains when we're dialed into a screen, right? So let's talk about that a little bit. Going back to video games, and I know a lot of parents out there, you know, their kids may have a gaming system and games, and they may not know a lot about what those games are, what they consist of. Um, so talk through, like, what exactly does, or rather, what exactly makes a video game addictive? There's two main parts. The first part is that games are very specifically designed and very effective at helping you fulfill certain emotional needs. These are things like you're able to escape, you're able to socially connect, you're able to feel a sense of measurable progress, and you're able to feel a sense of purpose all in one thing. And the other side is that these are very immersive technologies you're in a full flow state. You're fully in the in, in there in the moment. And it's so good that you can play it for 15 hours straight like I would without even realizing it because you're just fully in the moment. It's a hyper level of stimulation. You know, just for anyone listening, if you just think about where you are right now, you know, compared to a video game, your environment is boring. You don't have zombies coming at you with scores flashing across the screen and loud noises and your friends screaming in your ear and a leaderboard and all these different things. You're probably, if you're like me, you're in a room and it's a very low level of stimulation. Even though this conversation is engaging, it's nothing compared to a video game, just even for your brain. And the more you're overexposed to that, the more you can actually have structural changes that happen to your brain. And there's three of them. The first is numb to pleasure response, which means that everyday activities no longer really satisfy you. The second is hyper-reactivity to gaming, which means gaming is really exciting and everything else is boring. And the third is willpower erosion, which means even if I wanted to quit gaming, I wouldn't have the willpower to do it anyways. So if, if you're working you know, with a child or or, or you have a teenager or young adult and they're saying things like, well, gaming is the only thing I enjoy. Everything else is boring. A big part of what they could be describing is the stimulation difference that they get in gaming. And it's not necessarily to say that they have a major problem, but if you notice that their life continues to revolve around gaming, so gaming revolving around their life and they're not working as much, they're not going to school as much. They're losing all interest in other activities. That would be a big warning sign. So it's the fact that gaming is so effective in fulfilling emotional needs and being a hyper level of stimulation in that activity. That combination is pretty potent. And games are specifically designed this way. Games have fundamentally changed over the years. Even when I used to play, I used to buy a game for $50, come home from the store, install the CD in my computer, and play the game. Whereas now, the game is on your phone, it's free, and it's constantly asking you to spend more money in the game through in-app purchases. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a huge. a fundamentally different experience. So games have changed. We're no longer playing games like Pac-Man and Pong and Atari. We're playing digital products that constantly evolve using state-of-the-art behavioral psychology and consumer research 
to keep you playing as long as possible and increasingly to get you to spend as much money. Yeah. And, and that's, I guess, one of the things that turns me off to video games and video game producers is that they know exactly what they're doing. They know the effects that their games have on kids and they look for ways to just continue to dial it up a notch. And, and I know there are some, you, I think you mentioned it earlier, like I'm not completely opposed to games because I know that in moderation it can be healthy because it does kind of tap into areas of the brain that you don't always use. But obviously when we left, when we leave it completely unmonitored, it turns into a, a dangerous situation like we've been talking about. But like I said, they've got to know what they're doing, right? It's just, it's almost evil. They absolutely know what they're doing. They're literally PhD behavioral psychologists designing these games. And they're using all the latest research. They know exactly what they're doing. And, you know, they managed to find loopholes around existing laws, like gambling law, for instance. Gambling law currently doesn't include virtual goods under their regulations. Even if you can purchase virtual goods for real money, and even if you can sell them for real money. And so it's a loophole in gambling law, which allows games to institute different game features such as loot boxes that are essentially gambling and pretty much all the research out there on these sorts of game features have found them to be the same as gambling, but gambling law doesn't regulate it. So they're able to profit billions of dollars a year off of kids, young people, who shouldn't be gambling and who are now being exposed to gambling through these mechanics. And it's a huge problem. I think regulations will come down on them. They'll be hit with major fines as they should be. But it's important to understand that the the U.S. market for video games is over $40 billion a year. And last year it grew by over 20%. And it's scratching the surface. This is a $140 billion industry around the world. The gaming lobby is bigger than the NRA in the U.S. Like this is an extremely big industry. It's bigger than film and music combined. It's very powerful and they know exactly what they're doing. And based on the industry statements around video game addiction, they are certainly going to fight back with everything they have. Uh, But I think they will lose. Wow. You just blew my mind. $40 billion. A year. And that's scratching the surface. Like this is, you know, if you look at a company like Activision, which is one of the biggest in the world, in 2017, they reported $7 billion worth of revenue and $4 billion of that came from in-app purchases in-game offers, which like five, six, seven years ago weren't even available yet because those really came in when the iPhone and the App Store came out. Wow. And so chances are, those games are tied into mom and dad's credit card, right? Absolutely. And that's what happens is a lot of parents don't realize that their credit cards are on the account. Maybe they needed to put it on the Xbox in order to download the game or whatever. And then the credit card's just on the account. And then their kids are spending money within the game. Sometimes they know it. Sometimes they don't. And usually the parents don't know it until they get a credit card bill in the mail. And they realize their kids have been spending all their money and sometimes that's you know just a couple hundred dollars. Sometimes that's a couple thousand. It can be even much more than that. Uh, Facebook was recently sued by a family whose son, 15 years old, had spent 6,500, I believe, euros 
on these sorts of, of purchases within within uh, Facebook games. And these games weren't even labeled as having these sorts of mechanics. The kid didn't even know he was spending this money until the credit card bill came. And when the family tried to get a refund, Facebook, of course, refused. So, yeah, these companies know exactly what they're doing. And, and it's fairly predatory. So parents need to understand if any credit cards are on the account. They need to have conversations about these sorts of mechanics in app purchases and make sure that they're not spending any money in the game. Man, well, I we could continue to go down that rabbit hole cuz I find it personally fascinating, but um we kind of touched on this earlier, but in your experience, you know, outside of just having a, a dialogue with our kids, what can we parents do to kind of help our kids understand the long-term dangers of this? There are a few things you can do. The first is, of course, always having these sorts of conversations with, with your kids. Uh, you know, in my interview with Jordan Shapiro, one of the things that we really talked about a lot was, you know, having these conversations about games and maybe even playing games with your kids and being able to talk about different features and that sort of thing. Uh, one family I've worked with, they found a lot of success in actually reading game design books with their son, where then he was able to kind of understand more about these mechanics. Uh, you know, you can also talk about gambling and the risks of gambling and, and not necessarily from a stance of like, never do this, don't ever do this, because that kind of generally just creates a like appealing kind of risky type activity. Exactly. Yeah. But just talking about it from a very kind of neutral, like this is what it is and this is how it works and this is, you know, the dangers of it. And having that be a very safe kind of conversation. Um, so those are some things, but also for parents, I think it's really important that parents come together more. So, you know, podcasts like this, great. Being able to share more awareness with families, you know, maybe starting a parent committee in your community where you're able to come together and talk about these sorts of things around technology, help spread more awareness with families, help create a space where it's safer for families to have these conversations. Maybe it's a church group specifically around technology because generally for a family who might be struggling in some way, it's very isolating and there's a lot of shame involved. They don't ever really want to speak up. Uh, So just creating a space where that's okay and also helping families understand more of the risks so they're able to keep it from becoming a problem. We touched on some of the warning signs of addiction. Again, from your experience, have we seen any indication of what the some of the long-term ramifications of all this might be to society as a whole, or is it still too early? One of the things that's happening is that young men in their early twenties, their employment rates are dropping sharper than any other group. And an economist from university of Chicago, Eric Hurst investigated this and he found that 75% of the time that the young men used to spend working is now spent gaming. And from a quality of life measure standpoint, they're not even necessarily unhappy with life. In fact, they're fairly content until they reach their 30s and they realize how far behind they are. That contentment then leads to depression. So gaming is very effective at warping your perception of effort and reward. In a game, you constantly get rewarded for your effort. You don't only get predictable rewards all the time that you're putting in effort, but you also get intermittent rewards just every once in a while because it's really exciting and it kind of really keeps you going. If you just constantly got the same predictable rewards all the time, you'd eventually get bored. So gaming companies know it's the combination of predictable and unpredictable rewards 
that really kind of mm-hmm. keeps you playing. But what happens is gaming is a very safe place to fail. And it's a very predictable environment that you have a lot of control over. And the more you're, you're spending time in that sort of environment, the less a uncontrollable, unpredictable, more risky environment like the real world appeals to you. Because why would I go to that environment? Why would I apply for a job when I'm just going to get rejected by most of them and have to work and not really feel like I'm, you know, getting like all the instant gratification compared to I can just turn a video game on and instantly get rewarded or my brain can get rewarded for all of the things I'm doing. So it warps your perception. And I think that warped perception then has real life consequences of things like employment rates dropping and uh, gaming is now a leading cause of college dropout. And I regularly hear from families who are going through divorce because of gaming. So it's not that everyone has a problem. It's only about 3% of gamers overall will be at risk for addiction. Uh, but the consequences can be very real and can be very significant. And that's why you know families need to pay attention to this. They need to make sure they're instituting protective factors like limiting gaming to be just a fun activity, not the all-encompassing only activity someone's doing, exercise, time in nature, face-to-face interactions, a multitude of other activities and hobbies. And if people are doing that, they'll be able to keep it from becoming a problem. And it's always easier to keep something from being a problem than to try to turn it around once it becomes one. Yeah, amen. That's a good reminder. Well, it seems kids are being introduced to screens at a younger and younger age. Are there any studies or is there any data that indicate, you know, what this early exposure may mean um, for those kids down the road and, again, society at large? There's some great research by Gene Twinge who has found a lot of similarities between the amount of screen time that we're doing and specifically for teens, the amount of screen time they have and their rates of depression and anxiety. So there's certainly a relationship there. It makes sense. You know, screens are going to be more isolated and things like that. Um, but the one thing we don't know yet is, is what the impact on someone's brain is from being exposed to gaming or screen time from a very early age, one, two, three, four, five years old. And a study came out recently that screen time for kids under two years old has more than doubled over the last four years to almost three hours a day. And again, these are two-year-olds or less than two-year-olds that don't even need any screen time because they're perfectly happy with basically anything. And yet, if you give them a screen, they'll be very engaged in it. They'll be very immersed in it. It's very effective as a babysitter, but it's only kind of delaying the eventual problems that you will see. Uh, I certainly think that from a developmental standpoint, we're exposing kids to a lot of instant gratification, warping their perception of effort and reward, not really teaching them face-to-face social interaction. And I think over the long term, we're going to see big problems around this. I think we already are seeing it, and it's only coming bigger. So, you know, I think, again, it's just making sure it's a healthy, balanced activity. It's limited. That's not the only thing they're doing. I know we're just scratching the surface here, and I've been taking <laughs> notes about as fast as I can write. But, yeah, this is fascinating stuff. Um, well, kind of winding down here, um, I know a lot of kids get games as gifts uh, or the games are purchased by somebody, you know, and then they may not really know what the kind of 
content of the game is about or how the game functions or um, what specifically about that game might make it addictive. So um, I guess without naming names, I don't want to get you in trouble, but what specifically should parents be on the lookout for when it comes to games they're pulling off the shelf? There's a great website called Common Sense Media that does ratings on games and shares what games are kind of age appropriate and what some of the mechanics are within these different games. For instance, you know, if a game is violent or not and what kind of violence that is. Uh, So that's a great website for kind of reviews of games to understand more about what these games are. Uh, I also think that parents, you know, can type in any game title into YouTube and be able to quickly find, you know, what what the game is, how it works, et cetera, et cetera. I think the biggest thing that parents want to be watching out for is is any games that are more online multiplayer type games. We know from research that those tend to be more likely to or more risky for addiction than kind of more single player games that have a pause where you can save your progress and come back to it instead of an online game that has no pause, goes on endlessly forever. And, you know, you might be in the middle of a match when mom calls you for dinner. And now if you leave, you lose and your rankings hurt instead of an, mm. an offline game that you can pause. Uh, so being mindful of that and, and also being very mindful of any games that have in-app purchases, which increasingly almost all of the games have moved to that business model. But just being really mindful of what kind of in-app purchases are available if those are loot boxes, which is a simulated gambling-like experience, and making sure that you're using parental controls to turn any kind of in-app purchases or, or payments within the game off. That's good stuff. Uh, good reminder, man. Cam, I want to thank you so much for sharing this information and telling your story and helping people overcome their addiction. But when you hear the, the word inspired legacy... What Give that your own definition. What does an inspired legacy mean to you? Just leaving a positive impact on the world and being able to pay it forward in whatever way you can. I think that, you know, there's been so much support and help along the way for me. You know, I was born in certain situations, like, for instance, with two incredible parents who always encouraged me to pursue my dreams and to live my life to the fullest. And any way I can kind of pay that forward and help other people really be able to make a positive impact in the world is what I really believe life is all about. And so I just try to find kind of any way I can do that, whether it's in a big way like game quitters or, uh, you know, annual way like building clean water wells in Tanzania, which I do every year, or, you know, just leaving a smile on someone's face when I go to Starbucks or go to a coffee shop, just kind of trying to leave a positive impact everywhere I go. That's what an inspired legacy means to me. That's awesome. I love it. Cam, again, you're doing excellent and outstanding work. It's important work. I want to make sure people know how to find you. What are you up to now? Uh, what can people look forward to from you? Where can people find you online? Gamecores.com is the best place to find me. You know, we have over 200 videos on YouTube. We have 70 plus inspiring stories and, and we have guides for gamers and parents who are looking to you know, understand how to turn these situations around. I also travel around the world speaking full-time so I'm off to Kansas tomorrow, actually, to speak and then uh, all over the world this year, many, many different countries. So uh, if you're interested in having me speak, you can definitely reach out. Love to chat about it. But GameQuiz.com is available for anybody. Most of it's free. So if you're looking for resources, they're available on there. Outstanding. 
Cam, thanks so much. Safe travels as you uh, complete your world tour. And again, just thank you for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, there you have it. I learned a ton from that conversation, and I trust that you guys did as well. I hope to have Cam back at some point in the future where we can dive a little deeper into some of these areas, and hopefully uh, by that time some of these stats and uh, studies uh, will have changed and Cam can give us an update on the latest and greatest uh, information that is relative to this conversation. If you guys, again, took anything away from this episode, please do three things for me. First, subscribe to this podcast. Second, leave a review in iTunes. Hopefully it'll be a positive review. And third, and most importantly, share this episode with anybody you think could benefit from its message. If you know any families out there with kids who have video games and maybe struggling with video game addiction, get this episode in front of them and share this information with them. Because again, I believe this is an epidemic. Uh, I believe Cam shares that opinion as well. We've got to arm as many people with this knowledge as possible. If you guys would like to follow the show online, you can visit theinspiredlegacy.com and there you're going to find links to our Instagram and Facebook pages. And guys, if you're looking to keep your axe sharp by surrounding yourself with other like-minded, like-hearted dads, I invite you to join our free and private Facebook group. You're going to find encouragement, support, accountability, spiritual growth, and there's a link to this group in the show notes. Again, I want to thank you guys for listening. Remember, subscribe, leave a review, and share our message because, again, I really do believe that when we work together to lift up fatherhood, we're going to change the world one dad at a time. Until next time, live inspired.